0: Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly interview show where top chess players, authors, content creators, and accomplished amateurs discuss their careers and share stories and chess improvement tips. Perpetual Chess is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'd like to give special thanks to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable.com. For more information about the show, you can go to PerpetualChessPod.com. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Listeners, we've got a fun interview with international master, author, and trainer Dean Apolito coming your way momentarily. But first, I needed to issue a minor correction for something that I say in the conversation with Dean. It's about 11 minutes in. I was referring to a prior episode where... I interviewed rating expert Dr. Mark Glickman about how rating scales have changed and how they could be changed, and I referred to him as Mark Ginsburg, who actually is an international master in chess, but a separate person. So if you want to check out that interview in addition to this one, that's episode 249, but just wanted to correct myself on that unfortunate mistake and the other thing is since i'm recording this intro anyway you guys know i'm going to remind you to make sure you're subscribed to the perpetual chess link fest it is a free weekly email newsletter Substack where i just round up the best chess links and send them to your way with little fanfare Um, speaking of little fanfare let's get you to the interview with international master dean epolito here we go Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We are here with someone I have known for something like 30 years, which is uh, mildly disturbing to think about, but he is quite an accomplished uh, chess player and trainer, more importantly, an author as well. He was the six-time New Jersey state champion who has recently Relocated to Charlotte, North Carolina, which of course is quickly becoming one of the chess capitals of the United States and of the world. He won 13 national championships as a scholastic player, countless more as a coach. He's still an active player to this day, recently competed in one of the Invitational Norm tournaments in Charlotte, followed by the U.S. Masters down there. So he and I will be discussing the ter- current competitive landscape. He is also out with a new book with new in chess books called Tricks, Tactics, and Tips in the Chess opening practical lessons for ambitious improvers i've been checking it out and it is a good choice both for scholastic players and for ambitious players rated below say 1500 I uh, really enjoyed checking it out so without further ado let's welcome international master dean epolito to the show welcome dean
1: thanks a lot ben and it's nice to be able to talk to someone who's also uh, kind of from our generation and still involved with with chess after all these decades
0: yeah, you're making me feel old, but as to quote the great Ben Feingold, the, the truth hurts. Uh, so, so, Dean, so Dean, here we are recording on December 1st, and both you and I were playing in tournaments. So I thought we could talk about the chess tournament competitive landscape generally, but I wanted to start with what hopefully isn't too touchy a subject, which is your rating graph. Um, Yours of course looks better than mine. um, But nonetheless, you've had your ups and downs. I mean, one thing I've always admired about you is unlike a lot of players from our generation, especially you're a dad like me, uh, you end up competing less, but you're always playing a ton, but you've had lots of, uh, you know, you got close to 2600 USCF in 2014, achieving a peak at 36, and then went all the way down close to 2400, and now you're kind of in the middle around 2500. So, with all you've been through, Dean, all the top players you've played, does does your rating still? Is it still something you fixate on, or would you say you've moved past that? What do you think?
1: <laughs> I, I try not to focus on it. This is one of the things I tell my students all the times: if you're if you're focusing on the the rating. Sometimes you're going to be happy. Sometimes you're going to be upset. Um, but if you focus on trying to do the things you need to do to get better, the, the ratings are going to come. So, um, so it's still, though, it's it It's always hard to not focus on it. And um, one of the things that I try to tell, not just like scholastic players, but also like adult players that are getting discouraged because I've been really discouraged the last, I don't know, 15 years, you see a lot of ups and downs and, the main thing is that the rating isn't what it was 20 years ago. Like If you have someone who's 1900 now and who's an adult and they were 2000 20 years ago and they're like upset and thinking about quitting, 1900 is not the same. It's just that there's a lot of rating deflation and the kids are able to get so much better so quickly that it's really discouraging. Um, so so for me personally, yeah, it was, there was uh, probably a peak in about 2010 when I was almost Twenty five hundred feet a, and then within a couple of years it went down to twenty three thirty, and it's it's doesn't have to do with age; it has to do with one, the there's there's real deflation, uh, and two, when you're not doing something all the time, you're gonna have you're gonna have problems. Like it's not the the times of Botvinnik uh, where you could just have a regular job and then play for the world championship and win. That's like completely gone. You have to. You could be Einstein if you're not studying all the time you're going to get you're going to get worse and so for anybody especially adult players you have to be doing some kind of tactics training every day I kind of thought that it was possible to make up for it just by trying really hard during the games and you can make up for a lot that way but but not everything you have to do a lot of the work beforehand and and like it starts with kind of realizing that just try not to concentrate on the rating because it's it's completely different everybody's good now and you're going to be playing kids that are 1800 and might be twenty four hundred in two years, so just try to focus on improving, doing some tactics training, and putting a lot of effort in during the games, and and not on the ratings because it's very easy to get discouraged if you do.
0: Yeah, obviously, good advice. And as as you saw in my tournament, I started zero and three, and the the way I lost in the third game was just disgusting. I couldn't blame, you know, kids being underrated, just played terrible. Um so it was a dark moment for me. I'm sure you've had some dark moments so uh, as someone who's who's put in all these hours and really stuck with chess Dean, have there been times where you've thought about uh, just focusing on
1: uh training yeah there there have been, but I just I really wanted to make Grandmaster a long time ago and and I had the opportunity to do it between two thousand and seven and two thousand ten, I was making a lot of progress, and I was really close to doing it and then had some business and personal things that happened at the wrong time, kind of right, right at the peak. And I didn't really play for about six months and didn't play where I could really focus for about six months. And then when you start playing again, you're going to have a drop. And then when you go from being really close to that 2,500 feet rating and you get down to 2,450, then you start thinking, all right, now I have to catch up and you start doing things that you wouldn't normally do because you're focused on what you had before. And it kind of reminds me what my, track coach told me in high school, he said that, well, I was a sprinter and he said, you know, when you're behind in the last, um, 100 meters, or if it's a 200 meters and you you, you, your form just goes away. You're trying to catch up to somebody and, and you just do really badly. So this is for everybody, when you're ahead, you're just not worried about anything and you're just concentrating in your form and everything goes smoothly. So I kind of thought of the same thing when I just started dropping, I was trying so hard to catch up to where I had been and it just made things worse because you're just focused on the, the rating. So instead of the, the this doing the small things that got you there, and it's very easy for anybody, I mean, especially kids to, to that don't have the experience, to get kind of discouraged when you see you're really close to your goal, and then you fall back, and then you start doing things that you wouldn't normally do and getting worried about where you were before, and then it just makes things so much worse. So that was the, the problem, and then it just kept getting worse from there. And and, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of get out of that spiral when you're, when you're a little bit on, on tilts and, and, and you just see that, all oh, you're really close. And then you're thinking about what, what you were and how far you are. And it just, it, it takes a lot of effort. And eventually at some point you realize, okay, just don't worry about the rating at all. Just concentrate on the things that you need to do. And then it, then it starts to come back slowly. But, um, but the most important thing that I tell my students, if you're close to something, you have to put in your, the most effort you can, because if you don't do it, then you might get another chance to do it later, but it's going to be a lot harder. So now I'm trying to do it again, get back to where I was about 12 years ago. And of course, because I kind of ruined my opportunity, then it's a lot harder, which is, which is fine. But, but it just is kind of good uh, lesson for anyone who's close to something. And I just thought, oh, I'll get it the next tournament. I'll get it the next tournament. And If you have to take time off or something happens, then you're going to be kind of starting over.
0: Excellent advice. Yeah. And you had mentioned uh, when we were chatting before we recorded that you're mainly referring to in order to achieve the grandmaster title, you need a 2,500 feet, a peak rating as well as three norms. And your norm situation is complicated, but to you, for your level, the rating is the biggest challenge. Is that right, Dean? Yes. Yeah. The norms I'm not worried about
1: because um, the norms in, in the U.S. I was kind of either getting the performance norms, or I would have been able to play for them in the last round or two, um, except there weren't enough foreign players. So you, and in the U.S. They won't really um, switch the pairings around so that you get a foreign player in the last round if you need it. Um, so it's not just me. It's like people that are better than me, like more talented and better than me, that would have made grandmaster. I think if they were in, I'd like if they were in another country. Uh, but it was just the, the the issue is always that there's you can play five or six people that moved to the United States and have the U.S. Federation, but just moved to the United States a couple of years ago, and they all count as. U.S. players, and you have to play uh, players from five different federations. So, so you could play a ton of foreign players that just moved to the U.S., got the um, the U.S. federation, and they count as American for the FIDE purposes. So so, they, so that part I'm not worried about because if I get close, I can go play in Europe where it's, you know you're going to get enough foreign players. But the rating is the the really hard part. There's a, there's a lot of people with uh, three norms that are having a hard time getting Anywhere close to twenty five hundred feet a because it's just it's a difficult number to reach and it's getting more difficult because of the the rating deflation. I'd say it's probably twenty five hundred feet a now is maybe the same as twenty five fifty feet a fifteen years ago, uh, just because there's so many underrated younger players that uh, that that are playing and you can't someone who's two thousand now uh, two thousand uh, fifteen years ago I'd expect to be able to beat like in an a simul, and now you're
0: not guaranteed to win against them in a tournament. Yeah. All the, (laughs) for listeners not as familiar with these discussions, um, I would point them towards my interview with Mark Ginsburg, who's a rating expert, but basically um, new players are constantly entering the field and if they stick with chess, they're going to improve and they need to take their rating points from somewhere. So unfortunately, all the people of Dean and My's generation, older generations, even newer generations who've moved on, they sit on the sidelines with their old ratings and that leaves uh, people like uh, me and uh, Dean to swim with these young sharks. Now we're not making excuses or I, I at least I personally, I, There's tons I need to get better at, so I'm not making excuses, but that is the landscape right now.
1: Mm -hmm. Right, it's definitely changed a lot, and uh, I think I I noticed it maybe the first time, probably at the tournament that you were playing in last weekend, the National Congress, like maybe eight or nine years ago. I was playing there, and I was thinking, and I was in my mid-thirties, and I was looking around during um, a long think that my opponent had, and I was just counting how many people in the open section I knew were older than me, and it was something like five or six. And right. I said, I, I can't believe this. Like I'm in my 30s and 10 years before, like the average age would be 40 in the tournament. And so you go from being one of the youngest players to one of the oldest players within a 10 years uh, period. And it's, this isn't like professional football where you expect to, to age out kind of quickly. This is chess. You expect to be able to get better and experience to count for something. Um, and the experience in some ways isn't as important as like the knowledge and the energy that the, the kids have and with the tools now. Um, they're able to get better so quickly that uh, you know if you're playing a, a, a kid, it could be like when I was trying to make Grandmaster, I was running into people like Sam Shanklin and Naroditsky and Sevian and Ray Robson who you're playing in their 22 or 2300 FIDE and you can't beat them. And yeah. you're like trying to make Grandmaster and, and you can play really well and draw them and, and you're like, oh, that just that just hurt my chances. And you know that they're going to be 2600 in a couple of years. Uh, but there was just like an army of them and even the, the people that didn't stick with it like the, the kind of like the the people that are good at chess and they're kids and they're practicing a lot and they're twenty one hundred they're twenty one hundred FIDE not even like considered a master and um, they're really really tough to beat um, and uh, like one example I can I can kind of compare to why there's like a, this rating deflation is that there's a lot of kids like this that get really good really quickly because they all the, the tools now um, yeah. and then, and then they go to college and then they leave chess and right. then you never see them again. So, so it's kind of like the, the analogy that he's like someone kind of like robbing a bank and then, <laughs> and then, and then like just hiding the money and never spending it. So you can never yeah. get that money back. So like all the people that, that the points were taken from it's not, I mean, they're doing, they're doing what, what they should do is do the, the best they can, but they're so underrated and they're just, they're, just beating people, taking all their points, and then the, everybody's getting the adults are getting discouraged. Like, what's what's going on? And then when they when they're actually the rating that they should be, they're gone. So you can never get a chance to to take any of those points back. So and there's just like a like kind of an army of of uh, kids like that, and it's discouraged a lot of like like the older kind of weekend warrior players who you would see at tournaments twenty years ago, twenty five years ago. You'd expect to like see them every weekend, and now you. You never see it. And I have like a, a story a kind of it's like, that just parallels this at, at every level from my first academy that I opened 15 more than 15 years ago. And we mostly taught kids, we had some adult classes, but every Friday night I wanted to do something fun. So we did like a, a league night. And every Friday night, within a few months, we were getting like 60 to 70 people. And in the beginning, it was like almost 50-50 adults and kids. And there were some adults that were like 2,000. Sometimes you'd get a master to play just kind of for fun. Um, and you'd have like a lot of like 11, to 16, 1700 adults playing. And then you'd have like all these kids that were also lower rated or same rating. And and it was great. It was exactly what I wanted a, a club to be like. It was like 50-50 adults. It was like a club and, um, and an academy. And over the course of a couple of years, I noticed something happening. And it was like the same time period when you could see it happening, like at master level in these open tournaments. A couple of the adults they they were they were trying really hard, and they would see their ratings not going up, and you'd see all these kids like just passing them by really quickly. And now they're playing like a someone who's a couple hundred points lower and losing. And a couple months later, they see the kids higher than them, and they think like, what are they what are they doing wrong? And I'm trying to tell them like these kids are really good. They, these kids are going to be masters someday. But then there is like another group of kids that come in. And they're low-rated and they get beaten by them too. And eventually a couple of adults start just like kind of get discouraged and quit. So then every time there's a, a league night, if they're four a month, instead of playing two adults and two kids every every month, then the the adults that are left are playing like three kids and one adult. And then that's making it kind of more discouraging for them. And there's like a, that just process keeps repeating, and there's just attrition over a five-year period. Like as, as hard as I tried, there was, it came, became like 80% kids and 20% adults. And, and the kids are able to get better much faster. And the adults see that and they think like something's wrong. I think oh, I'm trying really hard. Why am I not getting better? And you are getting better, but it's just, you don't see it in the rating because the kids are getting better so much faster. So yeah. it's, it's discouraging for them. And, and it's, it doesn't reflect like um, other things where, you know, if, if you're, like uh, I knew when I was on track, like, all right, if I, if you run like a, an 11, 900 meters and then you do 11, seven, you know, I'm getting, you know, you're getting better. But like a chess, if you're, if you're 1100 and then a year later, you're like 1100 still, you're like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. Why am I not getting better? You are getting better. It's just that other people are getting better faster because they're more kids playing. So uh, when you go to some, like at any tournament now, like whether, when it's, let's say it's even like a quads, you see, when I was a kid, there were like a couple of kids playing and a couple of teenagers, and everybody else was an adult. Now it's the exact opposite, and it's like it's very, it's very discouraging. The the atmosphere is different. I so I wanted to try to make some like adults only tournaments to try to get more adults back into it because if, even at even at like our level, when when I go to a tournament, I know all right if I have a bad game and I and I lose a game early on, well I'm going to be sent to the, the Kind of like the kids' realm where you're going to be playing all, all, all like twelve-year-old, uh, thirteen-year-old kids that are really underrated, and you feel like you have to beat them, and it's not easy. And then you're just kind of stuck the whole tournament playing them, and it, and you know you're going to be losing points, and you look back at certain tournaments and say, "I played really well, and I lost twenty points." <laughs> and it's just, it's just, it's just the the atmosphere now, and it's what makes it really difficult, and why like a lot of adults have have stopped playing. And I just. No, 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 that you can still get better. And you can still have your rating go up too, but you can still, more importantly, you can still get better and still en- enjoy it. But it's just, you kind of have to realize that the ratings are not what they used to be and, it, and they don't correlate at all.
0: Yeah. It, it's, it's a good reflection. And one thing I would just add, of course, Dean is, yeah, we're, we're older, we're dads. So with yeah. that, you know, we, we have some disadvantages in terms of, uh, time and possibly neuroplasticity compared right. to our younger competitors. But Dean, we do have the wisdom the rating is just a number. It does you know it's it's not the most important thing and if we're competing it should be because we enjoy it or we get something out of it. So I just encourage listeners to keep that in mind and that and certainly what I was telling myself when I was uh, 0 and three. but let's bring this to a, a practical level, Dean. So w- what adjustments are you making and what adjustments do you advise for your adult students in this new landscape?
1: So, so the first thing is, the most important thing is the, the psychological part, that you just realize that just try to play everybody the same and know that if you play somebody who's who's a kid, they're probably going to be really underrated. And if you lose, don't don't worry about it. It's like you could be playing the next world champion. Um, but in terms of like practical things that you can actually do, uh, what I started doing before these last two tournaments that went pretty well Um and could have gone better. I think the, the the main thing is to realize that there's the time controls are getting faster, the kids are getting younger, uh, and you have to you have to kind of adjust your playing style and also uh, how you how you train. And what that I means one of the things is going to be like tactics. Doesn't matter like your experience; it's almost like a disadvantage in some ways. Like they can learn things really quickly. They can pick up a new opening quickly and experience in some ways is like um it's almost like a disadvantage because when kids are training with like the the engines the engines can suggest things that like we were taught like this is just not a good idea and the engines will prove that you're wrong it's like a like a doctor spending 10 years in medical school and then you find out later that oh like 20 percent of the stuff that you were told it's like now we just know it's wrong so you have to kind of like realize that all right there's there's they're going to be able to do things that you're not able to do, but they um, are going to have a difficult time doing. So the, the big thing that I've been doing that's made a huge difference is like tactics training every day. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I'll tell you like exactly what I'm doing. And the, the adult players that i that I talk to that are still trying to improve and even still trying to make grandmaster, I tell the same thing too. Like it, it's the time control is fast you could outthink somebody and be plus two or plus three according to the computers. And then it's going to come down to some kind of time scramble and they're going to calculate faster than you. And um, you're going to blunder and you're going to think, Oh, I had a winning position. If it was a a slower time control, like 25 years ago, I would have won. And that's, that's true, but you can't really do anything about it because uh, it's not easy for people like us in like similar situations where we have jobs, we have family, you can't, like take off and go play a one round a day tournament in Europe. So, so what do you do if you're here? So, I do 25 minutes of tactics training a day. It's like 15 minutes of puzzle rush um, on Chess.com. I'll do three of the five minute trainings and if uh, three of the five minute tasks. and then I'll do like 10 minutes of Woodpecker, um, like this great book by uh, Axel Smith and, and Tickman, which which when I do it consistently, I see a big difference. And you just calculate, you're calculating things so quickly, and I treat it like a game. Um, 25 minutes isn't something you can break up into two parts, you can do it during lunch. And um, it made a big difference when I was playing these tournaments. And when it came down to some kind of time scramble at the end, I was calculating just as well as as the opponents in most cases, and much less likely to blunder. So you have to do that because these fast time controls, it's going to come down to calculation. It doesn't matter... How how experienced you are and how good strategic you, you are. If you if you hang something at the end because of time pressure, you're just going to lose. So and these kids are they're not they're they're really good defenders. They're not just going to go down now. They're they're going to defend until it comes to a time scramble. And and if you're not checkmating them, you can you can lose in any position. So um, so you have to be really sharp tactically. The other thing that I just started I just started making myself do at these last two tournaments. I wanted to see how much of a difference it made i just made myself stay at the board the entire mm-hmm. game yeah so like the entire game that the time it's not like a six hour game now even if you're playing a really long game it might be four hours because the time controls are faster and i just made myself sit there and when my opponents were walking around or if it was their move i was trying to anticipate every everything that they could do so i would calculate something or evaluate something and say okay what else can they do and i was trying to figure out after the tournaments like how much of a time difference that makes and i always think it probably makes up 20 minutes to half an hour on your clock that you're saving every game so if they're walking around and you're not and you're just sitting there thinking and trying to anticipate everything you you can you can be ready to make a move a lot faster you won't be surprised by things and um occasionally is it can it can um backfire if you kind of get ready to pre-move and i did blunder once by being ready with a move to try to keep my opponent in time pressure, but for the most part, uh, it really pays off. And, and you have to like use the experience and like discipline that you have to kind of outwork your opponent at the board. So I remember when I was younger, I was like walking around too much, and so I see that even with like young grandmasters, today. they're they're up from the board a lot, and, and if you stay there, you can make up for a lot just by just by trying to work harder. But it takes a lot of it takes a lot of discipline, but uh, you start to see you start to see progress um, really quickly. If you do a little bit of tactics training uh, beforehand, a lot of work at the board. make yourself stay there. And like, of course you have to stay up on openings and there's, some, there's tools like like chessable, which makes such a big difference and makes it much easier to, to memorize things. But um, it's, it's a lot more work. Than, than it was when you were a kid. You could just kind of I remember just, oh, just walking around and and you know, you, you you're not as disciplined. You go you go out and, and do something social at night and then you try to play the next day and it's fine. Like now you can't do that. You have to be eating well, concentrating well at the board, and then resting during the games. Like there's not there's not much else you can do if you want if you want to have good results. And if you're in like your twenties or a teenager, you can still do those things and you can still make progress pretty quickly. But at this point, we kind of have to just be smart about everything that we're doing and it's possible to get, to get better. And it's even possible. Like I'm convinced like at any age, as long as you do these things and you kind of just stick to a process, don't get discouraged and just realize that if you have a bad tournament, it's probably more because the people you're playing against, than than the fact that you did something
0: wrong. Excellent advice. Yeah, and and I'm following most of it, I have to say. I'm proud to say, Mm -hmm. at least as of the past couple months. But one thing I've noticed, Dean, because I I do the same thing. Like back back when you and I uh, used to see each other all the time at Mm -hmm. tournaments, um, yeah, I was up like having casual conversations (laughs) all the time during games. And I have made that adjustment. I only get up to go to the bathroom now but right, a couple right. things have changed i mean there's the cheating thing so even if you wanted yeah. to have a, a casual conversation i right. think it's more it's more frowned upon but mm-hmm. also i feel like i don't know about you dean but i feel like my competitors are also at the board a lot more than they used to be do you, do you notice that as well
1: yes yes they are and and everybody, everybody's trying everybody's working harder like the game is it's different than it was when we were growing up like in the and then in, in the 90s i remember there was a there was a, a U.S. junior that was like that was at the a neighboring town to where I lived in New Jersey, and we had just graduated um, high school, so um, we had all like the players, like all the people that like, pe- everyone would know their names, like like Waitskin and, and Chiquet. All those players were were there, and it was like a like a social gathering. So yeah. like, every every night, like a like uh, my friends from from high school would come over, and we would all like we, we would just. We'd just relax and, and we'd watch a movie or something and we'd go over to someone's house and play basketball and almost all the players at the tournament would do that now it's completely different now the 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 players they know they're they're going to go back they're going to prepare they're going to be really serious there's like a very there's a really different kind of atmosphere it's like it's less social it's more it's more work intense it rewards hard work which is which is good in some way but the downside is that is that it's very intense and it's, it's, um, it's, it's a lot of pressure. You see like everybody's very serious and they're not just talking to each other. They're, they're at the board, they're concentrating. And you know, the second the game ends, they're going back to their room, putting the game in the computer, checking with the engine, preparing for the next game. And that's it. There's like, no, go, oh, let's, let's all go out to, to, to lunch. And, and uh, we'll just see who we're playing five minutes before the round. Everything is much more serious. And it's, like kind of happened in, in everything like you look at any sport that it's gotten it's gotten like that but I think it's the the switch has happened a lot faster in chess than it has even in like even in like professional sports where you see like a, just if you look at a like a baseball player today I know my friend uh, Dave vigarito uh, he also said like a, you look at a like a somebody in, in baseball today and you compare them to like somebody who who was playing like 30 years ago. Like the person who was playing 30 years ago it looks like a child compared to the, yeah. the, the person today. They're just like bigger and stronger and more serious. And and in chess, one of the questions I, I always get when I do like um, presentations at schools and I'll talk to like a parent. So the question that I get the, kind of the most often is either how can my kid or how i heard about this kid that's this age and that, how did they get this good this quickly? And the best example I can kind of say is like that, that, having the the new tools like the the computer is almost like a a bigger advantage in chess than having steroids in sports because you're able to get so much better so quickly and in sports you can train like two hours a day and then after that your your body needs to rest in chess if you want to you can you can study 10 hours a day and a lot of the kids are doing that and i have kind of mixed feelings on like if that's healthy or not i think right. it's, there's, there's a lot you, that's why a lot of kids get burnt out and by the time they go to, to college they're they're done but it it raises the whole game that like everybody has to be kind of trying their best at, at all times and again like it's like it's uh, it's accelerated like you know fisher when he took everything seriously like you couldn't be just like a part-time player and be able to compete with him but now with the the tools from computers it's accelerated so fast that I think it's it's a bigger advantage to have some tools like this than it is to have steroids in, in professional sports. It's just it's just the kids are able to get very good really quickly. They they can pick things up very quickly, their their knowledge improves it so fast. And the experience that counted for a lot 20 years ago doesn't matter as much as the rate at which they can they can get better. And they've have like their own things that they have to do like, like school and uh, maybe sports, but it's compared to an adult who has to, has to work. It's, they, they're always going to have less things they have to worry about. So, so they're able to put more effort in and they're able to, to learn things really quickly. And the speed at which they're able to get better kind of makes you, even if you, even if you're improving, you feel like you're walking and they're just like easily just, just running. They're like running. You see all these people like, uh, like, kind of make it look easy all of a sudden when when there were all these people from like this kind of maybe 15-year lost generation at chess, like in between the generation of like the really good famous players like Benjamin, Fed, and Defermian, and uh, like in Rode, and Sarawat and all those guys, and then the generation of kids that got good and just started to become grandmaster in a lot. Uh, it was like maybe the, like the, the mid-80s something like that. There was like a 15 year period where there's only a handful of uh, people that were born in the United States that made grandmaster. And it was, um, and it was uh, kind of like, one of the problems was that the people that those people that could do it, they they either got like discouraged or burned out, or by the time they got good enough to do it. And there were people like better than me that that could have done it easier than, 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 than I could, um, that just we're having trouble because you're running into all these, these kids like every tournament where they were just 2200, 2300. And then, and then a couple years later, they're, they're really strong grandmasters. And every time you play a tournament, you can expect your half your games to be against them. And, and it's, uh, it it made people like, all right, it's not, it's not worth it. And there are a few people that are still trying. um, And I kind of want to do it just to prove that if you like if for anyone, that if you, pick a goal and if you just don't quit no matter how difficult it gets you can you can do it but you have to kind of adjust what you're doing and also if you kind of are given the opportunity to do something do it when you can because it, as you get older things get more difficult and the opportunities become become kind of less and less um, and everybody else gets gets better and it's just it's very discouraging and I completely get what adults at every level see when they see kids kind of making it look easy and it's just because the the tools are there uh, they can train they've got they've got things that, that kind of we didn't have growing up and it just makes things look easy and it's and it's not because you're doing anything wrong it's just because the the game has changed a lot
0: okay yeah i mean So much wisdom there dean yeah and i hope i hope we're not depressing anyone because there's still plenty of enjoyment to get from competing but as you say it's a new world and dean i want to pick up the conversation and talk specifically about um your gm pursuit and about uh the actual atmosphere in charlotte but first dean we're going to take a break and uh and uh hear from our sponsors Perpetual Chess is proud to be brought to you in part by our presenting chess education sponsors, Chessable.com. Chessable, of course, uses space repetition to help you remember tactical patterns, opening sequences, whatever aspect of your game that you're working on. And they have a huge library of awesome courses. So whatever it is you want to work on, there's a good chance you can find something to help you on Chessable. Some of their latest includes a lifetime repertoire course on the London from Grandmaster Sahaj Grover. And Srinath Narayanan now. I don't want you to play the London personally, but if you're going to do it, then this is a good learning resource. Uh, Grandmaster Alex Trolovich has a new course on Bobby Fischer's end games. Of course, uh, the legend RB Ramesh's improve your chess calculation if you really want to challenge yourself. So there's always tons to check out from Chessable.com. They have lots of free courses to check out as well. So just be sure to go to Chessable, get a streak going and see what they have to offer. And we are back. And Dean, before we get back to the possibly depressing topic of uh, how to swim upstream in this environment, (laughs) let's hear about the atmosphere down in Charlotte. I was hoping to play in the U.S. Masters. Uh, My family ended up hosting Thanksgiving, so I played Mm -hmm. locally instead. Um, But it looks like so much fun. They've got the media team churning out interviews. Of course, they have Mm -hmm. the um, North Carolina Open running concurrently. So you mentioned things aren't as social as they used to be, but what was the atmosphere like at that tournament, Dean? And of course, we'd like to hear about your chess as well. Yes, sure. And first of all, I do want to say,
1: I don't want it to be depressing at all because it makes, if it's difficult, if it's more difficult to to do something, it's it can be frustrating, but then when you do it, it feels that much better. So that's a great point. Um, yeah. So, so it's not, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's more difficult to do it, but as long as you realize that and you don't quit when you do it, you can, you can be that much happier that you, you accomplished it. So you just have to know going into it that it's, it, that it is more difficult. Um, well said. Yeah. So, um, the, yeah, the, the atmosphere in Charlotte is great. So this is one of the, the things I wanted to do, uh, when I was here, one of the big advantages is that there's a there's a huge opportunity to play. Um, everybody is nice and supportive. Uh, the tournament atmosphere is great. Um, there there are there are some social advantages because there 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 are a lot of people that that are like adults that you can play with and you can you can practice with. And they're running tournaments here all the time. So um, so you know, I love the <laughs> I love the the fact that it's a it's a big hub for for chess now and that. Uh, A lot of people are coming here. There's a lot of attention on Charlotte and um, there's a lot of great players that are coming here and uh, just a a great opportunity to play pretty much whenever you want at any level.
0: And are you, I mean, it's kind of like a reunion. I mean, and a lot of sort Mm -hmm. of uh, prominent chess personalities, James Canty, Mm -hmm. Kostya Kvyudskiy, the aforementioned Naroditsky, Amon Hamilton, they assembled quite a roster down there for this tournament in particular. Um, and of course, shout out to Christopher Yu. we shouldn't bury the lead for, uh, for our right. win the tournament beating uh, Alejandro Ramirez in the, um, in the playoff. So do you get to socialize more in a tournament like this Dean, or as you said, because of the competitive atmosphere, is it still pretty business-like? Yeah, that that's the, the big thing.
1: Occasionally you can go out to get some lunch with, with somebody or, or talk to them for a little bit, but it is, it is harder because, um, the games are, the games are tough. Most of the games are, are really long. And um, the, besides, besides saying hi to people talking a little bit about how their tournament's going, there's not a huge chance during the tournament, like after a tournament's over, uh, there is, but you, I, I kind of, and, and probably for some people who are younger, it's probably a little easier, but um, in terms of, in terms of, for me, I'm, try, I'm trying to be extremely disciplined after the, the second round of the, the day because I'm just exhausted. And um, I think at least two, maybe three of the, the rounds, the games that I had were the longest of the tournament. So by the time I, I was done, most people were already gone. So um, so it's, it, it'd be great to have some, obviously, to have some tournaments where – was a little bit more time to have like some one round of day tournaments where you could kind of socialize with people. But, but I found like even, even like spending the, the, the slightest bit of extra energy before, a, before a round takes a big, um, takes a big toll. Like there was um, a, a, uh, a GM norm tournament here a couple months ago. And uh, I went to, to, to the gym with uh, James Candy before the round to, to work out. And he's, one of the few guys in chess that's made me feel really weak working out with, right. And, um, he, uh, he's, uh, he's Beef, really yeah. strong. Speech. Yeah. So we, so we, so we were working out and then, um, that night, like I played a kid and it was a really long game. And after four hours, I was the first one to blunder and it yeah. was, like, ruined the whole tournament. So I said, I, I can't even, I can't even try to work out, uh, during a two round a day tournament, even if there's one round that day, just, th- just doing that if it comes down to a split second decision later after four hours, I, I could easily just, just blunder something. So, um, so the, so it's kind of like very, very, for me, especially, I know I'm older than most of the players now, so I have to be really disciplined and try to eat really well, not have a- anything, anything bad during the tournament, not have any sugar and just try to uh, just try to, Get as much sleep as possible and prepare as well as I can. Um, and I'm sure I think that even even in my early 30s I didn't have to do that. But but now like if you if you want to make progress, I think you you have to have every little advantage kind of working for you. And mm. and any any bit of energy spent on something else is is uh, like an extra percentage chance that you might blunder something after four hours against somebody who's half your age or a third of your age. Yeah. So-
0: no, and I experienced exactly the same thing. And I know different people have different perspectives, like recent, recent guest of the show, adult improver, Vishnu warrior is getting up at 4am to study every day. And uh, that's, that's never going to be me. But, right. And sometimes I lack discipline in my life. But when I do go to these tournaments, Dean, these days, I take a similar approach. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm eating healthy. I, I came to the mm-hmm. same conclusion as you about exercise, which is a bit unfortunate mm-hmm. because, yes. uh, you know, if you're trying to be in reasonable shape, it's uh, tough. So I, I go for walks, but I don't do anything else, anything more right. strenuous. Um, but, but yeah, it's, uh it's, <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting um, new landscape to try to navigate. Yeah. It's, 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 um
1: it's a lot more difficult. I think at yeah, the times of being able to play two kind of two games a day. Well, and like I mean, 12, 13 years ago, if I if, if I be just not getting three hours sleep, playing and then like going into the last round where you have a chance to make a GM norm, like and it, it was fine, and you could you could do that. But I wish I had the same discipline then that I have now. Now I realize okay, you you can't do that anymore because um, uh, you need every little thing kind of kind of working for you and. Uh, and you don't especially at this point i don't know how many more opportunities i'll get if you have the, getting 100 feet eight points back or more is is it it's something that would have taken like a year maybe 10 15 years ago and now you know it's going to take multiple years of being really disciplined every tournament so and you have one bad tournament and you could just kind of screw up a couple of tournaments worth of of work so it's it takes a it takes a huge amount of discipline, and even the um, yeah, even I've, uh, even just work trying to work out a little bit. You can only do it if it's one round a day. If it's two rounds a day, it just it just kills your energy too much to uh, to be able to play these long games. And 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 the other thing I've mentioned is is that uh, when you know you're playing kids every day, especially as you get older, you're a target for them because they they see you as like someone older. And if it's a dead drawn position and even if you're higher rated than them, they're going to try to, they, they know you're going to get tired first. Yeah. So they're they going to play until the very end. And before like 10, 15 years ago, if you're playing someone who's like a strong grandmaster and better you, they'll offer you, they would offer you a draw. They know it's just a waste of energy to try it, but the kids will burn every bit of energy out of you. Cause they know that if, if someone's going to blunder, it's going to be you. And they're not scared to, most of them are not scared to, to, to play anything out now. So it's, so you kind of have to be ready for, a fight every game whereas a decade or decade and a half ago. If you were tired and you you wanted to just do something simple and make a draw, you could do it against people that were that were like professionals and, and higher rated than you if you uh, if you if you if you really wanted to. But now it's it's uh, you, you have to be ready every game or you're gonna run out of energy really quickly. And and if you don't lose that game, that the night game you're gonna be exhausted for and you, you will blunder something.
0: I sure will <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> um, so let's bring it back Dean a little bit to your GM pursuit because obviously mm-hmm. you've given some some good advice already in terms of uh, managing energy and daily practice in terms of tactics um, and I think that's great advice for anyone across the rating spectrum listening but obviously you're at a level where even more than that is probably required. Um, so like what else is on the agenda as as you mentioned, for when you're in Charlotte, that helps a lot because you, you the competitive aspect. You don't have to yes. travel as much. But right. what else are you going to do from a chess training perspective, Dean? So, from from a chess
1: from a chess training, it's, it's mostly about making sure the openings are are set, doing tactics training, uh, staying kind of as healthy as possible, uh, and playing as many tournaments. You you have to you can't go a few months without playing a serious tournament and expect things to go well. Mm-hmm. So one way or another, um, the most, uh, the, um, when I was playing a lot, um, even if I wasn't in, in good form, you could still make good practical decisions. So, so like at any age, if you're playing, that's why there are certain players that just play all the time and were able to keep like a very, like, like say someone like uh, Alexander Ivanov, who was like just playing every weekend. And he's, it was like, it is mid fifties and still like you could say like a, like almost peak performance because he plays every weekend. Right. So you so it, it it's, I, I think like the the uh, what people think about like your your brain um, neuroplasticity like going down with it is like only a tiny bit true. I think that the the bigger factors that people get discouraged and they don't have enough time to, to practice or they think like it's not going to make a difference. And if you're playing a lot and you're training a lot, you're going to be able to get better. At, at, I don't care if you're seventy, you're going to be able to improve. But but you have to play as much as possible. So, that's, so one of my goals is to play like a kind of a big tournament every month that, and every day, no matter how tired I am. I just make sure I do this this tactics training because I can see uh, a lot of uh, a lot of things that I was watching, thinking about during the game. The games I could kind of calculate within a few seconds compared to if I wasn't in, in form, it would take 30 seconds or a minute and all that's all that energy makes a huge difference. So, so it's basically tactics training, playing all the time and making sure you just don't lose because uh, you forget some opening against um, Like it's against a kid who's kind of memorizing everything and um, you don't get out of the opening. <laughs> so, so with, with those, with those things, I think there's, I think there's a chance and I'm really, very dis- disappointed myself to be honest that I didn't um didn't do it when it was easier but it, um, like 12 13 years ago but but um that's why I'm going to try to make up for it now by working really hard away from the board by studying and by especially by doing it at the board during tournaments but but it's like it, it's kind of maximum effort all the time now uh to try to just prove that people can do it at, at any point point. And also to my younger students that if you have a chance to do something, and I say this to them all the time, like don't it's like what I did, I was way too safe when like sometimes I would just uh, take a draw and like sometimes in positions that I should be trying to win, just ah, I'll just I'll I'll just do it next to him, and then ah, the, the rating's going in the right direction. So it'll happen sooner or later. And you never know when there's gonna be uh, a chance when you're gonna have to take a break. So so if you have a chance to do something, do it. And, and now you're trying to kind of make up for the, the things I did wrong when I was younger to uh, to, to get to, to something that's harder to do, a little bit harder when you're older because of time more than anything, um, but also because the kind of like the, the, the rating deflation has made getting back to that rating much more difficult. But but I if if, if I don't do it now, I'm going to try to do it. Even when I'm 80 years old, I'll try to do it. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean...
0: <laughs> yeah, I can certainly relate to to what you're speaking about in, in terms of like, you know, you everyone I think or it's common, I certainly do to have like decisions moments in your mm-hmm. life where you wish you did something different mm-hmm. and circumstances come up that remind you of those moments, but there's only there's only this moment going forward. You know, you can't you can't change the past. So it's always this this delicate balance of uh right. okay, but what do I do from the, from now? You know, right. um And yeah, obviously there are decisions beyond the chessboard and obviously it's important to you, Dean, because you, you've still, you've got a two-year-old at home. So is this like a a tough calculus for you to decide I'm going to put away that much time to continue to pursue uh, chess and the GM title in particular, or to you, is it just like, it's, it's a no brainer. You want it that badly.
1: It is. It is. It is tough. It's just finding time to to study and and also I'm hoping that she wants to play chess and it, and it also motivates her and my my three other kids to just when you pick pick something that you want to do, like it doesn't matter. Just make yourself make yourself do it. Yeah. Um, and if you do that right from the beginning, it shouldn't come to the point where you're trying to chase something that's much harder years later. You'll be able to do it much more easily uh, when it comes up the first or second time. But but yeah, it, it is difficult. But but she does um, uh, she does see chess all the, around all the time, and I'm hoping that kind of makes her her want to play, her want to play. And and she does um, we uh, she she does know the names of the pieces and how some of the pieces move. And we watched that episode of Bluey where where Bluey's dad tries to. I don't know if your kids are into Bluey, but it's like the only show that I can watch that's for kids, a cartoon okay. that doesn't doesn't make me want to pull the rest of my hair out. It's, right. uh, it's 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 funny for kids and adults, and they have like that's her favorite show and there's, and there's an episode where the dad tries to teach the kids how to play chess so um so i try to keep chess around all the time so that she's really interested in doing it and i'm hoping uh to to, to get the the this title out of the way soon enough so that if she gets interested in, in playing i can kind of help coach her more too um and not be worried about kind of doing this uh doing this myself um, but, uh, but yeah, it is, it is hard. There's, there's, there's times when, uh, what I show my students is, um, at some point, um, I realized that I was I too focused on, on rating. And, and, uh, so when I started to like come close to make, uh, some norms, like 18 years ago, I made this notebook of like weekly tasks that I needed to do. Like for, for chess and it was like an hour of tactics training a week like you have to review a game there was basically i said how much time can you devote to chess every week and you have to do it no matter what you have to do it and if you don't do it that week it carries over to the next week so i have this this notebook of what i thought was going to be like two or three years to make the title and now it's like almost 18 years later and i have like like week after week of of checking things off and and um there Are some weeks where like you, you have a bad tournament, and you're like, oh, I just I can't do it anymore, and you want to throw the thing out. It's like I just just quit. And it's like you put too much into it. You can't do it at this point. Like it's um you just have to keep trying and uh, and it will happen if you just concentrate on doing the work that needs to be done and not on like the the actual the actual rating, because um, that's that's something that's you can have good tournaments and bad tournaments. And some of the tournaments I have now where I gain a few points, like these, these games are great. Like if I played this way 15 years ago, that, that would have been a GM norm, but you're playing people who are, who are really good, but you slowly making progress and getting back to the same spot where things were a dozen years ago. But there, there are times when it's like uh discouraging and it's just like, I kind of, uh, I'm very competitive. And when I, put my mind to uh, decide I just no matter what, if, if I don't make it now, I'm, I'm just going to, I will keep trying. So
0: I love it. And what's your next <laughs> tournament, Dean?
1: So I think the um, it's, there may be something during the the, the the holiday break. There's a couple of things I'm looking at. If not, um, probably the, the North Carolina um, open in middle January is probably going to be the next one. Um, and I'm just trying to make, uh, make a point to look up as many, fide tournaments as a feeder tournaments as possible because you have to get the the rating back. And, um, and I I also try to make a point of not going too long without playing. So, so I was like the, the most important thing I could say to anybody at any level is just if you can play two tournaments a month, you're going to get better whether or not you see the results. But, but for me, yeah, it's, it's going to be as many of these, um, fide tournaments I can play in the area and then maybe some other things, um, Maybe later in the year, maybe some other bigger tournaments, uh, like in some other major tournaments, like in Las Vegas.
0: Nice, yeah. yeah. Um, well, Dean, I mean, it's it's inspiring, heartening to hear you talk about it. Uh, so we'll certainly be rooting for you um, and tracking your progress. Now, I want to talk about your your book next, but we got to mm-hmm. take one more break and then uh, let's let's dig into that. I've been due for an update from our friends at AimChess.com. AimChess, of course, gathers games from the major chess playing sites and gives you actionable intel of what aspects of your game to work on and it helps you work on them. Uh, I've been working on some new openings in my Blitz game. It turns out I'm doing pretty decently with those new openings. Of course, I've got to keep them a secret from you guys. Um, But I still have some other things to work on. Time management slightly better, but lots and lots of room to improve. Uh, I also need to work on advantage capitalization and resourcefulness. On the other hand, my end games are doing well and my openings are doing well overall. So if you're looking for that kind of insight, as well as puzzles of tactics that you missed and chances to practice positions you didn't convert, then try out aimchess.com. If you do so, please use the code perpetual30 at aimchess.com. The link is also in the show description. And we are back. And Dean's new book is called Tricks, Tactics, and Tips in the Chess Opening. So, Dean, as we've alluded to, we both got a lot going on. Um, so, <laughs> with with all of yes. these activities, why write a chess book?
1: <laughs> so, so this is one that I've kind of actively been working on for eight years, and in a way, I've been kind of working on it for twenty years because it's most of my best um, lesson material that's worked that I've worked on and and shown to hundreds, if not if not thousands, of students. So. So, uh, I'm kind of obsessive compulsive about getting everything everything right. So I, I wanted to put all the material uh, that I had, the, all the most instructive games that I thought got the kind of the the, the most they're most instructional for the students, but also have something interesting about them that people re- will remember. People, if they have a good story that goes with it, they'll they're much more likely to remember something. So, um, so. I didn't just write it. So, I basically, uh, over the last eight years, I was putting together all the best lesson plans and showing them to dozens of different groups, uh, but dozens of different classes. And then, every time a, a question that would come up that was interesting uh, or it would come up multiple times, I'd write it down and I'd put it in the book. So, I wanted it to be something where, uh, like, coaches could kind of almost use it as a blueprint to show it either their students or even their, their kids. And it's like a fundamental uh, information for, for people that maybe even club players that are adults. I've had a few adults that have said that, well, I, I wish I knew this stuff that are even like 15, 1600 read. And so just going through this book, I see what's happening uh, in my games. I'm just winning, winning games from just the, just the tricks and just the advice that, that are given here, because they just didn't have certain things taught to them when they were, were younger. So they're making the same mistakes over and over again. So, so it was um, it was kind of a process of like eight active years of, of doing it, and then in the last couple of years, uh, especially during COVID, I had time to work on it more, uh, and I just wanted to get all the, the details down, like where a coach could just go into a, a class and kind of show this uh, like step by step the most common things that are going to happen in the opening, the most common things, the most common traps that people are going to fall into. And I try to have some kind of different stories, and a lot of my own students' games that have happened during the writing of this book uh, that that I can include, include. That just have happened dozens of times, so so everybody can can kind of relate, and also they kind of see the same things happening multiple times, and just uh, realize, oh, okay, this is this is why it was happening, and now I know what to do against it. So um, there are some chapters I'm, I think are particularly important for certain levels like of tournament players like a fried liver attack and center fork trick. And, and uh, like, I have like, a, a story in there from, from the nationals from 1987, where I was playing the last round game against, uh, Talis who wound up becoming the, the world junior champion. And it was my first nationals and I, I like didn't really know anything, but, um, but the last round, I fell right into it. I lost really quickly. I had no idea what, what happened. And now, like So I tell that story to students, like, if this happens, don't worry. This will happen to you multiple times before you start remembering it. Um, and once, once they realize the things that are likely to happen and ways to avoid them, they're able to get, like, the, the kind of the easy things out of the way so they're not just losing games quickly. Um, and they're able to kind of get more out of their, their games later because they're playing full games and not just losing over and over again for the same reason.
0: Yeah, it's it's quite quite a good, like you say, it's great for scholastic players. Obviously, a, a great l- choice for um, coaches as well, because uh, you've been in the trenches coaching for all these years. And as you say, this is some of your your best material. Um, and it reminds me a bit. I don't know if if you're familiar. I'm guessing you are with the uh, the art of attack in chess. To me, this is yes. kind of like an, an entry level version of it, which obviously is a uh, classic book
1: yes yes not, uh, thank you for comparing it to that. <laughs> but thank you I'm, I'm really happy with it because it, it it basically it takes a lot of my own games a lot of my students games and a lot of classic games so i try to get some kind of um like a chess culture and chess history and i think it's important for everybody to know like why certain things developed a certain way how certain things were discovered not just memorize certain games not just memorize certain uh certain ideas and just have some kind of historical background of how things happen It just somehow it seems to help people remember things and also help them uh, appreciate things and apply it more easily
0: yeah and I do always as you alluded to I always enjoy when there are like non-professional games in because a mm-hmm. it gives you sort of more grounded perspective but also just like as someone who knows a lot of chess people just to see random names pop up uh, in a book is always fun Right. right. And, and I tell I tell my students, too, if
1: they if they play an instructive game that, that uses something that we, we talk about, there's a good chance that it's going to be put in the book. So a lot of a lot of my students games are in here um, and uh, like a lot of things I just notice come up very often. There's, of course, really classic games, too, and games by by great players. But there's a lot of games for my students and myself where like something that that I notice. Well, I'll see like a dozen times a week happening in a game. I'll just say, okay, go to this chapter, read read this chapter, look at this game, and then you won't forget it again.
0: and in in the modern landscape, Dean, uh, obviously you work with adults, but you've um, been running scholastic programs for for decades now. Do you are kids willing to read chess books if you tell them to, or are they more geared towards the uh, the more modern
1: tools? Yeah, the, at a certain level, yeah, they they will want to use tools. And, and at some, they want to use some of the modern tools and they want to see videos. Um, but I use this a lot for, as I think it's, the students will do it, especially at a certain age and if they like to, to read. And I tried to keep a lot of the things in the book, like fun and short, and like how I show things in my classes where, the games themselves are not long. You're not having to read something. So if you have even if you have even a, a a child that's like six or seven years old, and they have an adult that can go through the game with them, and they know it's it's going to be like ten minutes to show them the game, the kids will 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 like it. And they'll like a lot of the tactics. So I try to keep it fun because if it's not fun, then people will zone out. And um, I think if you do it in a, in that kind of way where it's kind of the way that things that that I have been showing in class for more than 20 years, it'll keep everybody's attention. And if you have a, especially if you have a adult at home that plays chess, they'll be able to go through it with you or with a with student and, and they'll actually enjoy it and get something out of it too. Um, but I stay away from any game that I couldn't show in a classroom setting in like 20, 25 minutes. Okay. So it's all supposed to be just like very, very quick, get to the point, Remember the idea. Remember the pattern, and uh, if there's a, a fun story that goes along with it, then then they're much more likely to remember the game as well.
0: Yeah, um, it, and we should say it's available in New In Chess Reader. Um, uh, I'm a I enjoy their ebook app, and of course, you can get it in physical book and I believe in Kindle. But Dean, um, so you're not sure yet if it's going to be on Chessable. Is that the status? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes, I'm hoping to find out this in the next couple of months, if that's going to be turned into a accessible course. Um, hopefully, hopefully it will be because it's um, basically the, like, exactly what I've been doing in the, in the school programs for more than, than 20 years, to um, the, all the, the material that I taught myself and that I gave to um, teachers that were teaching for me, like for every really important topic that comes up in the, in the opening. And originally, i planned on this being like a all-encompassing book of the most common traps that happen at at all stages of the game. But we kind of decided we're going to split it up into opening, middle game, and end game because it's just there's just too much material. So uh, in a few months, too, I'm hoping to start work on a middle game book with the most wow. common themes like like castling opposite sides, the Greek gift, all the most instructive and kind of most historically important games too for like all the uh, the themes that people can expect in the middle game. And again, the game's being relatively short so that people of any level, any age can kind of enjoy it and get through it without feeling overwhelmed.
0: Sounds good. Um, just a couple more topics, Dean. Uh, I know this has been long, but there's, you've got a lifetime of chess wisdom. And one one topic you're unusually well-versed in is uh, opening and running chess clubs, for better or for worse, <laughs> Scholastic Academies. Yes, uh, yes. So you revealed your stock advice when someone asks you uh, to, about it um, to me before we recorded. But could you repeat it for our audience? If someone says, Dean, yes. I'm thinking about opening a chess club, what do you tell them? Yes, my I've
1: talked more people out of it than I have talked into it because um, a lot of people, especially if they're masters, they think, okay, it's easy, you set up a chess club and then Uh, you just, you have classes and it's great for everybody and you do this on the side. And it's it's like, if you if this isn't going to be something you're going to be able to devote full time to, you're going to have a lot of problems. So it's, it's a, especially getting going, it's more than a full-time job to, to advertise, to get students, um, to, uh, to, to, to handle kind of all the, the administrative work and red tape that goes along with it. And a lot of people have tried to do it kind of part- time and have lost uh, lost a lot of lost a lot of money on it, lost a lot of time and' been really disappointed. It can be done, but you kind of have to do it for the right reasons, and it has to be f- uh, like full time and I didn't even try to do it myself until I had about forty schools where uh, that we were teaching in, and so I kind of had if things went wrong, I still had f- <laughs> 40 schools that to to rely on, but, and I started it very small. The first one, um, just to make sure that it worked well and it did. And then the second one was, was bigger and, and, um, I went all pretty much all the way through COVID, but then you, you see like, um, things can, can happen that you don't, don't anticipate. And like some like, um, pandemic can happen and like what, what happened during COVID with, um, uh, basically, not just me, but almost everybody else that I know that had a chess academy, basically you were you were paying full rent in a store that you couldn't legally operate. So if you're going to do it, you have to set everything up the right way and know that it's a full-time job, especially for the first year where you're going to have to, um, even if you have like a reputation out there and you know you're going to have certain students that are there, you're going to have to advertise, you're going to have to be there all the time, you're going to have to be following up. And and it's not going to be something where you can just open up and it's like, okay, this is going to be some extra um, part-time job for me where I'm going to be able to make extra money. If if that's the attitude, you're going to lose a, you're going to lose a lot of money. So, it so it does take a huge amount of work. And like I said, I've talked more people out of it just because I don't don't want to see people going broke. Um, uh, like having a physical location is always risky. And in certain areas, it's riskier than others. So um, you have to make sure that you have everything lined up and are prepared to work really hard uh, for at least the first year or two, just to get kind of a base, your base established. Um, and then, then it can work really well, and you can provide a lot of good education, a good atmosphere for for students. But uh, it takes it takes a lot, and you can't just have some title or even uh, like a, like a reputation for being a good coach and expect it to work well, unless you're going to put a lot of effort in up front.
0: Yeah, it's good advice. And to be clear, Dean, um, we're talking about opening a physical space, not yes. like becoming an instructor and being in a, a lot of schools. I think it's relatively low barriers to entry, especially if you have a good reputation and you do good work. Um, but yeah, once you're paying rent, uh, it definitely it yeah. raises the degree of difficulty significantly. Yes, yes.
1: And there were a lot of fun things I wanted to do. Um, Like I I wanted to see what, as when I was a kid that I thought were missing and I wanted to kind of incorporate that into a club. So it was like more because I loved it. I didn't expect that part to do as well as let's say the the schools and it it did do well. Um, But there's always things that can come up and it took like, you had to really love teaching and love kind of um, the, kind of almost like the business aspect of, Having a physical location, and if it's something that you're going to do like at nights after after you have your other job, it's you're going to get yourself into <laughs> into a lot of debt. So, um, so it's great if people want to do it, but I've seen a lot of places close because um, you have to be good at a lot of different things, and you have to put a lot of time in upfront.
0: Yep, all the more respect to our friends down there in Charlotte that they're they're making yes. it happen yes. and. And for listeners who want to hear more on the subject, um, I would direct them to my first interview, not the Adult Improver interview, but my first interview with FM Peter Giannottos and also uh, my interview from way back in the archives with uh, Adam Weisbarth of uh, Silver Knights. Um, so if you are interested in uh, starting a chess club, I would definitely um, heed uh, Dean's warnings and uh, tread carefully. And really, ju- just like Dean going for the GM title, you've got to really be committed if you're going to do it, but uh, you can check out those interviews. And uh, so, Dean, I understand that uh, apropos of this conversation, you're doing primarily online stuff now?
1: Yes, yes. I'm, uh, so I'm doing some private and in-class and in things too, in-school things too, but I've primarily since covid um, that's when everything kind of switched to, to online and it's still gone very well um, at a very loyal base of of students that most of them have kind of stuck with me three years uh, online. Um, but but I am going to be doing some things in person too. Uh, some I do private lessons and some uh, I'm going to be doing some school programs as well. Uh, but uh, but primarily right now, yes, like it's it's a lot is um, still still online.
0: Okay, and if anyone listening is interested, looking for a teacher, do you have any availability or any like online classes for adults potentially coming? Do the
1: it's mostly most of the classes are still the online classes for um, for scholastic players. Um, unfortunately, you know when when you're an adult, I've tried for for years to get adult classes going, and people are excited at first, and even when there's uh, physical adult classes, you could start out with a big group of adults, and then. Uh, something comes up. Somebody gets sick in the family, and and it 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 um, deteriorates pretty quickly. So like, adults will do things for their kids that they won't necessarily do for themselves. So you know, it's like you you will be willing to go out of your way for your kids, but for yourself, it's 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 much harder. So so I don't do too many um, uh, adult lessons or adult classes. But uh, in the sit right situation, if there was a lot of people that were they're interested, then then I then I would. Would consider, but primarily the uh, scholastic students are the ones that I work
0: with. Okay, so if any chess parents are listening, um, we'll will link mm-hmm. to your info. Now, Dean, last topic. I think um, I was I was uh, creeping through your chess-based game history, yeah. um, <laughs> looking at some of uh, some of the titans you've played. Uh, you know, you played Hikaru in Foxwoods in two thousand nine. You played Yusupov. Um, you played Sarawan in a U.S. Championship. So I'm curious, like what and obviously you've got all these titles as well all these um national championships and such what are your sort of uh most treasured memories from from all these years uh battling
1: i th- i think uh, there's some some games that themselves were kind of like my best my best memories of uh some some games where they were you know were just just fun and you beat someone who's really famous um Uh, and, um, a lot of it is like the, uh, like the fun parts outside of actually playing. Like, uh, we, when we, when we were younger and always to, to, to do fun things in between the games, but in terms of like specific games, like some of the most memorable ones, like the, um, probably my favorite one was for the first round of the the Rilton cup in 2017, uh, against Sasukuran, who, um, kind of had beaten me in a tournament in in uh, in England in 1998 when we were, like, relatively similar in strength. We were both, like, young IMs like, almost the same rating. And then uh, within a couple of years, he was playing Kasparov, and I was, like, teaching. <laughs> and um, in, in 2017, when I was, like, dropped all the way to, like, the lowest point where it was, like, 23-30 FIDE. And the first round, um, I was playing him, and he was the – he had won the tournament the the, uh, the previous year and he was the top seed and like almost 2,700 feet in. And, um, he was obviously, uh, like jet lagged. So, <laughs> so like, he, he, um, it's not going to be in his best game collections and, and he would obviously beat me now, but, but just, I felt very, even I was jet lagged, but I was really relaxed. And for some reason, like I had a good feeling from the start of the game and just played, uh, played quickly and, and comfortably and, and, it, and it was probably one of the most accurate games I played. And it was like uh, being, um, it was being commented on by Alf Anderson who, Oh wow. Like, like the granny And he was saying like some of the, the, the nicest things i ever heard. I saw, so I said, all right, this, this, uh, if if someone like that can can say good things about how you're playing, and then then it's then it's a good sign that I don't have to quit. <laughs> so it is, so so it, it was it's it, that tournament started out well, and then it, it, it as the, it, each round got worse and worse. But the, the first game made, like a good impression that you can still, and if you can still play a game like that, you you know that there's still like um, there's still a chance to to improve. And then I kind of started being a little. More serious again after that because I realized I still still had it in me to, to play with some some top players, but but there are some some yeah obviously like a lot of uh, games that make like a big impression where you feel like you 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 the corner and like the like the other one that I'll, I'll mention that was like one of my, my favorite games was from the and you, you might have been I don't remember if you were at that tournament um, I know like a lot of our group was was at the tournament it was like the 1997 New York Open in the first round. Uh, I played against Morzevich and wow. and won again. Like he was like, yeah, that was like within yeah. I don't know that was a like year P- before. P- yeah, yes, P- yeah. That Morsevich. was that was like yeah. fun. Yeah, he was like yeah, within a year he'd be number three in the world. And and again, like if he if he played me as if he was playing like uh, Shirov or someone like that, then he he would have just been more accurate at a certain point. But because it was the first round, he was playing someone who was like three hundred something points higher rated you get a little in the first round you can, we've been on both sides of this where you're the higher player or you're the lower player and you know accidents can happen when you're playing someone who's better than their rating and when you're not totally taking them seriously or your brain isn't totally in the tournament yet so I'm sure after that he like won a bunch of games in a row in the last round he was playing for first place but but in the first round that game was like like a, the, the start of the, the first I am norm that I got and then, um, and then I, I started to get better very quickly um right after that but you can see like certain there's certain games and kind of everyone's career where it's like that's like the starting point where i started to get serious and like then you knew you were going to be you were going to gain a couple hundred points within within a few years but like in terms of from master and beyond those are like two two games that kind of stand out
0: rightfully so that's uh impressive stuff and and the Rilton Cups in Stockholm, I believe. Um, what about in terms of chess travels, Dean? I mean, w- what have been your your favorite places that you've gotten to play? Oh, the, the
1: uh, Gibraltar was great. Um, I haven't gotten there in. Uh, I've only been there once, but that was a, a really fun tournament. Um, there's a, uh, the Rilton Cup is great. That was that's like one of the ones that um, also makes kind of you feel like you can. Have like a little bit of a social atmosphere, and then still play a serious game the next day. Um, the like one of the most interesting places was like the the World Junior was in India in 1998, and wow. Arena Crush was the U.S. representative, and she did really well that year. She got third. and I was the U.S. representative for the uh, for the the, the boy side. And I, I didn't do that well, but you but it turns out. About half the players that I played that year, like within within a year, wound up being really strong grandmasters. So again, you never know. Like if you're if you're playing people who are going to be really good, so don't be uh, disappointed in that result. But the but the the experience itself um, in, in in India there was was great. So there's a lot of um, there are a lot of places. Like they still miss um, like the the tournaments that they used to have in in Groningen and. Oh. in in, the, holidays, in like the late 90s, those were, I don't think you, I don't think. No, I just, the,
0: Greg had some stories. Like, Greg Shahadi had yeah, some stories yeah, from that, there.
1: Yes, that was fun. Yeah. He, we, he, we were, <laughs> we were at one of those in like the 1997, but all those, all those tournaments were, were, were a lot of fun because it's one game a day and there's like a, like a nice relaxed atmosphere and all the players get along and you do things after the tournament and, and you relax and have fun. And so like these, these kinds of, events where you actually it's 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 kind of more of um a uh I wouldn't say like like a hobby, but I'd say like you can relax a little more instead of like the intense American tournaments where you're playing two games a day and they're they're like brutal on you. They're yeah they take a take a toll. That's why like almost any Grandmaster from like Europe when they come and move to the United States for a year they like lose 50 points so, right. like instantly because it's just, it's just hard. It's it, if you're not used to it. So, so it's, it's fun here. Like the what they have in Charlotte with two rounds a day, but there's also something we said, I, I do like the, the, the tournaments, like the, like the cultural atmosphere in, in a lot of the like you know, European tournaments where uh, you get to, you get to do some other things and see like the the see, see the city and then, you're playing for four hours, but you get to do other things and just kind of unwind.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a they, they, I more civilized for sure. <laughs> um, yes, yes, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and
0: all right, mm-hmm. Dean, gonna put you on the spot for one more question. Sure. Who, who is the most impressive player you've ever analyzed with?
1: Oh wow, um, boy, I'm sure. Uh, boy, there's there's some players that just like they seem to seem to see everything. And there are like a lot of players that now I'm sure if I analyze with them, they're like, uh, I, I would just, I, I wouldn't be able to keep up with them. Um, but like there, there are some like top players, like, uh, like someone like Shanklin just sees everything instantly. So yeah. I with him, like, even when he was like, uh, we, we played at the, at the, um, us championship in 2008 and I beat him. Um, at, at arm wrestling before the game but he beat me <laughs> okay. early during the game but but but, but he, like he was like 22 something player and it's like i thought like okay i lost two games in a row so i should be able to beat him and he just pressured and like a couple years later he's like a strong grandmaster so he's just like calculating like things so quickly there's some people that um that you you just noticed like even I analyzed with I wonder Liang this this past weekend when I played him in Charlotte and he just you know calculates everything quickly. (laughs) Yeah. You drew him though. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was it was a good game, but he just like also um, he's not playing all the time, and still he's able to calculate. It and he's, he's also really nice. So I loved so, his interviews
0: but, at the U.S. Championship <laughs> where he played. He, he played some dodgy opening, and he was just like, "Yeah, yes. I'm, I'm in college now. I don't care anymore."
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. No, he, he, he just he played against Aronian and he just beat him with this this gambit. And yeah. he just, yeah, he's he's just like, a, like really nice and well adjusted. He's like happy to analyze the game. So, um, but there's just there's there's all these players that I think uh, you can kind of tell based on like a, like a couple minutes of, of analysis. And uh, even like, uh, obviously I played Nakamura a ton of times when he was, especially when he was younger and like, when he would like mention variations after the game, or if he would see a game and he would just be calculated, he would just mention to you after like, Oh yeah. What, what happens if this and that, and I would mentioned something like, and, I, and, and he would just like, he would just think it, Oh yeah. And I, and I, like, and yeah, the only reason I know that is because I looked at it with the computer and he's like thinking, figuring this out. In right. So, <laughs> so like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I didn't actually figure this line out. I just put the game on the computer afterwards and he would ask about something and see it instantly. So there's, there's like a lot of these, even like like Caruana, I played at the US Open when he was like uh, thir- like 13. And I remember telling him, that, um, so I beat him, but he was like maybe 2,400. But um, it was like just the, the things that he was seeing and the things that he already knew – uh, I think I told him when we were analyzing, like okay, you're just going to be one of the top players in the world in, in 10 years. Um, and uh, it was like literally 10 years to the month that he had that that tournament at um, uh, Singfield Cup where he he won seven games in a row. Yeah, and it was it was crazy what he was seeing when he was 13, and and uh, and he had to work really hard. And just he already knew more than me. Right. Um, so so but yeah, we analyzed probably for 40 minutes, and you could just tell that okay, this is going to be one of the top players in the world
0: yeah i mean and so getting back to our earlier conversation there is there is a beauty in that you know the passing of the torch like now you have this memory from playing with a, a modern legend where if you'd quit you know you've you, you right. have never gotten that experience right
1: right right yeah it's still nice i want to still be able to play these open tournaments in the u.s to because uh one of these i'm sure uh Caruana came close, but one of these players that at some point you'll get a chance to beat them when they're young enough and then they'll want to become a world champion so Yeah, for sure. They beat the world champion so. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, well Dean, this has been amazing. Anything else you wanted to um anything else you wanted to hit that I haven't asked you about?
1: No, I think I think we covered we covered pretty much um I mean, we covered pretty much everything and um yeah, one thing I did want to mention to to like to keep everything in a positive note, so why like just keep playing and don't don't give up? Like someone great, like um, Negi, who was one of the top. Yeah he, ever. Yeah, yeah, he was there. in Charlotte? He was at he was at the tournament, but like he's like he um, he hasn't played in a while. So he also was really impressed with. He was really nice. I played him in 2008 when I was I think when I was trying to when I was starting to get close to making the the GM norms and and we played in a, a tournament who's already a strong grandmaster and had already been one of the youngest grandmasters in the world. And he was nice enough to go over the game with me. And he just knew everything. Yeah. About the, um, <laughs> and, and then, um, so then when he played here, it's obviously like one of the most talented players. And then it's like one of the top grandmasters ever. And then he plays here and like, he starts out well, and then like starts to drawing drawing because it's, everybody is good. It's hard to play. Even for someone who, if you wanted to you could be one of the top players in the world, he, He doesn't play chess regularly now. It's it's hard to not be kind of flat unless you're playing all the time. It's hard to have a good tournament unless you're playing all the time. So even for for him, like so, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are if you're not playing all the time and not doing some tactics training and really making an effort to improve. the The game is difficult now. So everybody's kind of working harder. So if you're prepared to work hard, you can still do it. But if but if you're not and then it's it's going to be difficult for anybody, and also it's kind of a hope. If you play somebody who's really good, and you know they haven't played for a while, you can kind of outwork them and outthink them because they're just out of practice.
0: Yep. Yeah. Again, throwing it back to what we were discussing earlier, and and just for any listeners uh not familiar, who we're discussing is our Grandmaster Parmesan Negi. He. <clears throat> was one of the top prodigies in the world and uh then went to Stanford. He also wrote a couple great opening books for quality chess, but yeah, it was a pleasant surprise when I saw his name in uh in the cross table.
1: Yes, yeah, and see he's like a hard worker. The opening books are great and then but then if you're not actually doing something all the time, it's 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 hard to it's hard to compete no matter how much you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that's a good note to end on. Yeah. And I I echo what you were saying about, uh, not meaning to be discouraging. I mean, like, like I was getting at what I was saying earlier, where like sometimes in life I can procrastinate and lack discipline. And now when I compete, I feel, I feel I have to be disciplined. And I think that's a good Mm -hmm. thing for me. Like, um, the fact that I'm, you know, I'm, I can get distracted by my phone and when I compete in a tournament, um, I'm not distracted by my phone, <laughs> like just these little things like that to me, um, whether, you know, whether one achieves their goals or not, um, there's there's something grounding to me about uh, this form of competition, even if it's uh, more challenging than it used to be. I don't do you feel the same way, Dean?
1: Yes, exactly. And, and I, I don't care Like if you're what age you are, if you if you're all in and you and you want to make a plan to do it, you can do it you just have to, you definitely can do it, but you just have to, to realize it's, it's going to be difficult. And there's going to be times when you get discouraged. And when you feel like you were close to something and then you're, it's so far away, but it doesn't mean you have to quit. And And just the main thing is to kind of concentrate on the, the process and just have, to, you have to be smart about everything um, and work really hard away from the board and work really hard at the board. Um, and if you do that and and you kind of stick to it and Set yourself a goal and no matter what, you just continue to do it. I mean, for me now it's like 18 years since I made made this notebook. And I if somebody told me I would have hundred pieces of paper on it that say that tell me a checklist of week by week that I'd still have it, I would have said, No, you're nuts. Like this is gonna happen in two or three years. So um so you you pick something, no matter what happens, you have some setbacks, some things you can control, some things you can't, but you just you stick with it. At some point it will happen
0: okay well dean like i said we'll be rooting for you and uh, yeah i love the attitude it'll be uh wish you luck in uh in your upcoming tournaments and and with everything else
1: thank you so much and thank you for having
0: me Ben. oh sure dean and and if people yeah. want to reach you your email address is on your website right i mean I, I, yes and it's just
1: yeah it's also easy to remember it's just dean at dean of
0: okay perfect all right well dean hopefully we cross paths irl at one of these tournaments but in the meantime uh happy holidays and uh and good luck with everything. Thank you, you too, and I hope to see
1: you in person soon, too.
0: Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Big shout out to my producer, Matthew Passi. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network, with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Beneficial1 on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, Ben, at PerpetualChessPod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters, those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show have access to live zoom q a lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show going over chess games answering questions stuff like that and you can even get access to ad-free perpetual chess if that's your preference so but most of all thanks to everyone for listening and we will catch you all on the next